Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper, where we discuss women in fantasy, science fiction and horror. Today, I'm interviewing Australian fantasy writer Ben Peake. Uh, can you explain to us uh, what you do, what you write, and, and a bit about where you are in your publishing career? Um, all right, yeah, sweet. Um, I'm Ben Peake. I um, am currently the author of a Big Fat Fantasy Trilogy uh, called the Children, Children Trilogy, um, which is, uh, well, my big fat weird kind of uh, multicultural fantasy series that I'm writing for the inner child in me, basically, of um, things that I always loved as a child, but as an adult, I kind of don't connect with as much. Uh, Career-wise, well, I've been doing this gig for about 20 years now, and um, this is probably the most successful I've been in my 20 years, and it'll probably go downhill in about five years, and then come back up again five years later, and then it'll probably swirl around in a nexus of minimum pay for at least 20 or 30 years after that. So eh, I'm probably where it's going to be unless uh, money rains from the sky or something like that. So, yes. <laughs> so in The Godless and Leviathan's Blood, you've got uh, your main protagonist is a female. Did you sort of start out wanting to write a female protagonist or did that happen more naturally? Um, actually, what I started wanting to write out was an ensemble cast uh, book. So I wanted to, like, basically at the at the base of the book is this idea uh, of of diversity and creating like a a really diverse kind of world and novel, and not just sort of like on the sidelines, but but all the way through. Um, and that included like the cast of the characters and stuff like that. So. Uh, for example, like, you know, in Leviathan's Blood, where, like, there are two more kind of point-of-view characters, it was really important that at least one of them be a woman so that that balance of kind of, like, diversity and and equality is, like, kept throughout the whole book. So, in, in many ways, Ia, who is, like, the, the first character that you meet in The Godless because she's, like, the first point-of-view character... Um, is just sort of like part of those like other characters that come. So I don't really, I don't really completely view her as like the central character of the book, but one of say three to five, depending on which book you're in, um, of the main characters. But she's definitely the central character that the reader connects through into the world. And to be quite honest, I just sort of began writing her in a very natural way. I didn't really think, oh, she needs to be a female. Um, that was just how it sort of started for me. And I just kind of went from there with that. Um, and then as I continued through the rest of the book, I sort of like built, built the kind of like diversity, equality thing around the fact that she was the linchpin character that started it all. And so from her kind of spreads, she's like the center jigsaw puzzle, so to say. So the rest of the puzzle kind of spreads out from where she is. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Probably more to uh, people who have read the book, but it does to me. Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if you if you haven't come to the book and you started the book, you, you start with IA, and it's through her that you meet kind of like Berlin, um, who's the saboteur character, um, and then through her that you meet Zephyr, who is the kind of like immortal character of the book that's sort of like... Um, more into this 
it, it plays a much larger role in the second book, so to say. Yeah, it's also, I found it quite nice where you had, um, you know, a political figure of power where you've got two very strong women, you know, you've got uh, Lady Wagon, is that how you would say it? Uh, I, I pronounce it Wagan, so Wagan. yeah. Okay, um, and then uh, Zephyr's sister like, like, as well. Yeah, like with all fantasy books, you know, names are how you do it, so, you know. But um, but yeah, like, I mean, there's kind of like, in the second book, there's Aelin, uh, me, and in the first and second book, there's Muriel Wagan, who's like the, the ruler of Maria. And that, that, was, that was done very purposefully, because... Um, very much kind of like there are there are powerful like most of the most of the rulers in the book are like female um in in all the books that they're they're predominantly female and in part it's done because two of the more powerful characters you meet in the in the books which is Zephyr and kind of like his brother Jay Lee are two male characters and they're they're kind of very powerful, especially Zephyr and like all the dead and stuff like that. That's that's a hugely kind of like powerful kind of figure in the book. And so to balance that, women have to be in positions of power throughout. So when you start to come to like positions of power that are just naturally assigned in the book, so if you're a ruler or or you're like a police chief or, or something like that, uh, even though I don't have police chiefs in my book because that's that's not the fantasy way of doing things. But um, so as soon as you get to those other positions of power to make sure that you're balanced, right? And and the balance is very important across the book. Female characters fill those roles. Yeah, it's, and, it's, in yeah. a lot of fantasy, you don't see that very often, so... It's yeah, nice and, and it's, it's it's completely unnecessary in other fantasy to do that. Um, you know, you you hear that you hear that kind of like statement from other fantasy authors and and some of the people who read fantasy that oh, that's not historically true. You know, women didn't really have this power. Well, you know, history is a rather large, messy thing, and in plenty of periods of history, there were plenty of powerful women, and and, and it's not homogenous all the way through, and. Beyond that, um, you know, fantasy books, people, fantasy books aren't reality, you know? Yeah, make it up. They don't, <laughs> well, well, they don't have any of the realism of, like, true historical things, you know what I mean? So, that, yeah. that argument is flawed, basically, first in reality, because it's not true, right? But secondly, if you take the argument to its logical conclusion, you know, people fantasy books just don't emulate like the proper reality people aren't you know urinating in the streets they don't have poor dental hygiene they're not riddled by like diseases that we found cures for like you know what i mean it's just not it's just not real in in other fantasy i mean are there certain tropes and things that you see popping up again and again with female characters that you'd prefer to see you know change and something more progressive uh yeah actually quite a lot um and 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 part of i mean part of like my books are sort of like a response to me kind of reading that in fantasy i often find that female characters first of all they form the kind of romance kind of figure in a lot of them Mm -hmm. secondly they become victims because of this terrible kind of like narrative 
cliche where the proper way to threaten a, a male character and a female character is to threaten to rape the woman, you know, um, as if as if that's the only way to threaten a character or a person in real life. And I, I find that really unfortunate, especially because a lot of those scenes, I think, are written with a, with an eye not to horrify, but an eye to both horrify and titillate at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And I find that personally... I just find it ridiculous, actually. <laughs> you know, I was going to say objectionable, but I just find it ludicrous and ridiculous. And and I think it's actually bad writing. And it surprises me how many authors actually do it. Yeah, it's quite you know? lazy yeah. in, in a way. It, it is. It's hugely lazy. And it's hugely lazy to just assume that you can threaten every female character in your book with, with rape. You know, like, hey, here she comes. Well, we're just going to threaten her with rape and, and that will be sufficiently horrific that the reader will feel it, kind of get off on it a little too, and then, you know, off we go in our steam kind of thing. And I, yeah, I, I don't like that at all. And I, I don't like that idea that women are, are primarily breeding machines. You see that in a lot of, like, uh, fantasy novels. Even when they're rebelling against it, there's still this notion that they're that somehow their greatest gift when they're like, you know, somewhere in their 20s and up to their 30s, they're going to pump out this child who will be something. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, something more important than them at any rate. And I just, I find that, you know, awful, really. So. Hmm. And I find a lot of, um, even when you have in fantasy, you have women who are supposedly strong characters and they, they'll be introduced as sort of, they can fight their own battles and so on and so forth. But then immediately when once the action of the, the novel takes place, you have them constantly being saved by the man as well. Yeah, and, 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 and I don't like that. And you see that in some kind of like feminist kind of books and texts as well or books that claim themselves to be feminist texts. Um, uh, and, and although right, right, at my, right at the moment, the thing that pops in my mind is like really old Buffy episodes and stuff like that, which was supposed to be this feminist text. And while she did save people and ultimately, you know, save others throughout the show, there were lots of times where she was saved by like, you know, Angel or Spike and, or Giles or these other men around her life, you know what I mean? And, and I always found that kind of depressing. I suppose I never really thought of that. I'm, I'm a big Buffy fan, so... Well, yeah, I just, I don't know. That was just, it was just one of those things that popped into my head there. I always was annoyed by, like, the way in which they would save her and stuff like that. So. Okay. But, um, but yeah, like, I, I completely agree. This idea that female characters are introduced and they are independent until they meet a, ma- a male character, in which case their independence is lost. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you have any sort of female writers or female characters in the genre that you have really loved and you know would love to see more of? Um, well, basically, when when I talk about fantasy and I talk about the fantasy that I grew up reading, I actually I actually didn't realize this until I started writing these books and having to talk about them for promotional material and stuff like that. That um. Most of the fantasy books that I read growing up, and that's kind of still the ones that I read now, are mostly done by women. Okay, like what? Um, 
So I, I grew up reading like the Margaret Weiss and Tracy Aikman books and the Catherine Kerr books and um, the even the the Melanie Thrawn books and stuff like that. Um, and for years, I thought that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Aikman were both women <laughs> when I was a little kid. I, I thought that f- until one of my friends pointed it out to me, and I remember being vaguely horrified that that Tracy Hickman was a man um, for unspecified reasons even now. Um, I don't know why, just I'd always thought of him as being a woman. Um, and so and so I, I, I read a lot of those books um, and just sort of like, as I sort of like, well, basically I stopped reading fantasy for a while. Mm-hmm. Is I got kind of like two phases of it really. So growing up, I read like all these books, and then and then I came to like that Robert Jordan Will of Time series, and I read the first book and didn't like it, and I basically stopped reading fantasy for a while. And I came back, and there were all of these really great kind of female authors doing like really interesting things, like um, uh, N.K. Jemisin's like Hundred Thousand Kingdoms and that series that um, yep. the books that followed it and stuff like that. Um, I really liked the uh, uh, McMaster. Uh, books, the um, Curse of Chalian and Paladin of the Souls. Um, I thought they were really good, actually. Although I liked the first one more than the second one. Um, and the book that I read, uh, reread uh, not so long ago, was actually Mary Gentle's Ash, which is this huge, massive uh, historical fantasy fiction novel. Have you ever read it? No, I don't know that one. Uh, it, it's cool. It's 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 kind of unfortunately out of print these days um i think you can buy an electronic version of it or something like that but it's the most amazing thing um it's it basically has a ash is like a female kind of mercenary commander um that sort of like has built a mercenary group around her in i think it's like 14th century uh medieval times and stuff like that um and she's fighting in kind of europe and there's an invasion and it's just the most amazing kind of creation of like a female kind of soldier at the time. She's like flea bitten. She has to fight to keep like um, the the strength of her company around. Uh, she has this like she's basically stuck out as an orphan who is like raped in like a soldier camp, and through that, you know, basically builds her kind of reputation, her strength up to the point that she's basically this linchpin of the war and this like prophecy kind of alternate history thing that's coming along and it's really fantastic and it's really cool and it's dark and it's violent and it's all the really excellent things that you kind of want in like modern day fantasy it's also like a thousand odd pages so you can hurt somebody with it if you want um (laughs) and and it's small print too it's not like my books where the print's like kind of big and so the book looks bigger than it is um, but like Ash, uh, a secret history is like really tiny print and like, it's so dense and so amazing and, and just so awesome. And Mary Gentle is like a totally fantastic author who is sadly just not as well read as, as, as she should be. Um, and I, I would love for like Ash to be at the top of people's like fantasy kind of fiction lists and stuff like that. Um, I would love to see that talked about like tons and have people just always reference back to it and and the rest of the body of work of mary gentle in this kind of like alternate history world she wrote like a a couple of novels that go with that um and i also remember do you remember lynn abbey no 
So Lynn Abbey was um, one of two. She, with her husband, Robert Asprin, um, they were the editors of Thieves' World. Do you ever remember hearing about that? It was like a shared world anthology series in the 80s to early 90s. Yeah, it's a bit early for me. <laughs> well, man, I'm just going to put on my old man hat <laughs> and, and go with it. But so Thieves' World was kind of like the early incarnations of that dark and gritty kind of uh, grimdark kind of fiction that we have mm-hmm. now, right? Um, and around that, so that that was a popular series at the time, but Lynn Abbey actually wrote her own books around it, and she wrote these really cool books. Um, there's one that she wrote called The Wooden Sword, which was about, like, hedge wizards and this strange kind of world connected together. Another book that was the first of a series, which got canned after the first one, which was called Siege of Shadows, which like, alternate worlds and different things, but had, like, this really cool kind of setup for it and I think I'm probably the only person on the face of the planet who read it and liked it and thought it was really cool and then the series got canned and the other two never got written uh, much to my sadness but she also wrote these really cool Dark Sun books um, and the Dark Sun world was uh, like one of those TSR off, offshoot kind of fantasy game worlds if you've ever like kind of like um Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and all okay, that shit. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so Dark Sun was this kind of like, you know, desert world and all this sort of shit. And it was by and large like not very interesting. But Lynn Abbey wrote these three books that were in it. Um, and the first one was called The Brazen Gambit. And it had this like really flawed kind of like lower city official dude who was just trying to get by while still being honest in it and it was so good and it was so fantastic I wish that it wasn't like a, a Dark Sun novel you know I wish that she'd just written it as like a normal novel and people had found it and it had sold tons and stuff because it it's basically all that grim dark stuff that we see now and it was done like you know early 90s and things like that it was, it was really cool and Lynn Abbey was was a really kind of style stylized and and cool kind of author she had a few kind of weak books here and there but it's just kind of faded out now and i don't think publishes much at all um which is quite sad actually but uh is the fate of many authors so yeah i mean it's it's interesting we uh recently discussed sort of where the bottleneck is because we found even today when you see uh blog posts or people talking about what the anticipated novels are for the year the generally they're by men and we know that yeah they're, they're all the same yeah they're all the same books too yeah you know, like like yeah cool the anticipated book is the same on 27 different blogs but we're wondering you know are the publishers not taking on as many women are they not marketing the women or you know it it seems odd that it's always sort of the same push for the same books all the time on the same writer. You know, everyone's looking forward to the Sanderson novel. And, you know, I admit that I like Sanderson, so that's great by me. But, you know, there are so many other writers. You know, why aren't they getting the same airtime? Yeah, I, I actually I, I actually don't think that publishers are reluctant to take on women. I think publishers are, are keen to do it. And I think um, uh, whenever you meet publishers and stuff like that, you don't hear a vibe that says... Ah, oh, I don't want women because blah blah blah. I, I think they're quite willing to do, but I, I think there is like a kind of lemming kind of thing, you know. Like one book starts to get big and everybody kind of loves it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of follows in on it. 
and that's when you get that kind of stuff out of the the blog system. Um, I, I think perhaps, and it, and I think perhaps the worst elements of the blog system sort of like reinforce that, which is the lazy blogging, where people just want to fill content. You know what I mean? Yes. And so yeah. they write a blog post, but it's kind of like thrown off in like ten minutes, and it's mostly recycled kind of like content from like six or seven different other blogs in that, you know, they've read it and they've gone, yeah, that book's coming out. So fuck it. I'll just put this on the list. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they don't actually have to do the research themselves. And Sanderson himself is like easy because you assume the dude's going to have two to three books out in a year. (laughs) Yes. So it's like, what will Sanderson's releases be this week? Oh, I don't know. Let's have a title. He's probably writing that book. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, and, and, and I, and I think that's kind of sad, you know, I, like I, there, there's, there doesn't seem to be a will in some of those kind of blog promotional deals to go out and find new authors and to promote new authors, partly because I think some of it's laziness and part of it is also because those unknown authors that nobody knows about aren't going to bring you hits to your site. Yes, that's true. So you, you create... A feedback a loop, of kind like, of. <laughs> yeah, and you, you create like a nasty kind of mix and stuff like that going on, which basically freezes out new authors, you know what I mean? Yes. And those without established kind of audiences. So, it's a bit of a shame. Um, I'm not a big fan of it myself, but what can you do? I featured your book. <laughs> yeah, I know, and thank you very much. Um, and I'm very proud of that, and... And I, I'm very happy for it. But at the same time, um, there are lots of new authors that come out and I think they all need their kind of like place to, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And I, and and if anything for the blog kind of community, if I was running it with like a dictatorist fist, which is how I like to run everything, <laughs> um, I would be like, I would be like saying to them basically, you see this author here, and we'll take Sanderson as an example. I would say, you see Sanderson, you see he's made millions of dollars. I would say, don't talk about him on your blogs at all. Talk about this bunch of like new authors coming out here because he doesn't need you. You know, whereas these new authors coming out, they need you. Yeah, that's a good point. If there was one female character that you could have written, which would you wish that you had written? Ah, that's a good question. Hmm. You know who I reckon I probably would have gone for? Did you ever read, like, those original Dragonlance books? No. No? All right. So within those books is, like... um, like they're, they're terrible books, right? You got to read them when you're twelve, okay? <laughs> uh, like so that you don't notice that they're badly written, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, no, I take it back. I take it back. The character I wish. Uh, did you ever read the Catherine Kerr books? No, I'm, I'm like, feeling very underread here. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Um, they're really cool. You should check them. So anyway, the Catherine Kerr books, if, if people haven't read them, they're, they're really sweet because they're all about like past lives and shit like that. Okay, so she often runs through through her books um, multiple narratives with multiple characters in multiple timelines, and so the the idea of the book is that basically through the current timeline, the characters are trying to break um, the 
the bad kind of narrative structures that they've been stuck in, which is mostly tied to uh, a, a romance through one of the characters and a curse through the other and stuff like that. And they're basically trying to step out of the inevitable tragedy that unfolds in each of their timelines. Um, and it's a really cool, neat kind of idea, right? And, and I wish that I had stolen the idea, basically. Um, <laughs> that's, that's how good the idea is. The, the, the idea is fantastic. Um, and she has a character that she starts off with there called Jill. And Jill is basically um, the object from, well, not really the object, but the, the figure around which the curse kind of kind of swells a bit because she was the, the, um, the object of desire of the two men, one who was cursed and the other one who I think kills her originally. I could be wrong about that. It's been a while since I read the books. But at any rate, in the current timeline, he's actually her father. And he's like a mercenary character who has um, sort of like, who recognizes that he has these kind of like unhealthy desires for his own child and stuff like that. Um, Actually turning him into a quite interesting kind of character that's like written in in the series. But anyway, Jill starts off as like a girl who moves through the series up to being like this old woman who's like a kind of powerful wizard and stuff like that. And she was really cool and really interesting and... And she like you know becomes a mercenary like basically in the book in the book the mercenaries are called like silver daggers because they have like these daggers made from solid silver which seems strange for poor people to get but you know it works in the book um, <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and and she was she was really cool she was like really strong and independent and and she really didn't like the idea that what she needed to be what was this this figure who broke the curse for one of the other characters because she wanted to live her own life and have her own kind of destiny and movement for it. And, and I always thought that was really sweet, like really cool. And, and, and if I could have created that character, I would have created her. I've spoken to you before about the cover of The Godless and how you championed having a person of colour on the cover. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that for us. Uh, well... Originally, it wasn't my idea, actually. Originally, okay. it was my edit- editor's idea at the time, which was Julie Crisp. And she, her original cover plan was to put uh, one of the main characters on each of the books so that it would be like a kind of diverse kind of book cover sections when you put them together. Mm-hmm. So she was going to start with IA, go with Zafir, and end with Berlin. And for those who don't, who haven't read the books, uh, IA is basically a character modeled after Southeast Asian kind of descent and Zafir is more of a European white guy and Berlin is basically um, a sort of black African figure like that. The, the, world, the actual cultures they come from don't mirror that at all, but it, just for looks, it'll help. Um, and I, I personally don't like people on covers. I, I just don't like people covers. You know what hmm. I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I was very supportive of this idea of having a diverse kind of cover. Mm. And and when Julie said, this is what we're going to do, I was like, well, I'd rather have a cover without people on it. Uh, but if this is what you're going to vote for, like, I'm going to support that. Like, you know, I'll, I, I fully believe in the ideology of, like, you know, putting non-white females on covers and not hiding their faces and shit like that and, and, and basically embracing that diversity, you know what I mean? Like, a, the only way you're going to change shit is by embracing it. I mean... You know, and it, it is the world, 
you know what I mean? All these people who get like kind of bent out of shape about like that that Star Wars Rogue One trailer that came out, you know, mm-hmm. and there was a bunch of 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 guys who are like, oh my god, social justice warriors are taking over the fucking Star Wars intro- empire because there's another woman in the main role. It's like, yeah, but there's one woman and then the rest of them are all yeah, men. And then, and then there's, there's like five <laughs> guys and some strange samurai dude and Forrest Whitaker. And, and, but, but you just kind of like got to wonder to yourself, like, guys, what the fuck? When you get up in the morning, do all you see is dudes around or something? Like, like uh, what's the deal? Is there no women in your life? You know what I mean? Do you, do you yes. not see anywhere? It can, can you not understand that our entertainment should embrace the fact that this is a diverse world that we're all in like what's what's the deal you know and so i'm very supportive of that idea and so when it came to the cover i was like well cool we we wanted to look properly southeast asian and um we want it to be neat and stuff like that and i smell there was a lot of conversation over what Southeast Asian people look like in the in the cover, um, okay. You know, and and you've never really lived until you Google until you've gone to Google Southeast Asian women. Oh yeah. To to just like you know basically have images to send to your publisher. That's that's a good time. We wanted um, we wanted it to be right and to look good and to basically, you know, go out there and say, you know. And, and be a really good image for it and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, the end, well, I'm trying to think of other fantasy books that feature people on the cover, and I can't really think of any that feature people of color, really, other than say Octavia Butler. But that's not fantasy. It's uh, well, it's kind of fantasy, but it's and, usually and, marketed and as sci-fi. And and the Octavia Butler stuff is she has people of color color on her book because she's a woman of color yes yeah exactly the other person i'm thinking yeah. of is tony morrison and again she's a writer a of, color. of color yeah. yeah and and so you know like I'm, I'm i'm just a white dude from australia but like you know i was like this is this is what we should do is to do and so i was really kind of supportive of the idea but I don't think, in hindsight, that the cover really came out in the right way. And I think, I don't know, the, the cover, like I think you said it yourself, that the yes. cover came out looking a bit too YA. Yes, I did feel that way. And, and, and it also, and there was actually another effect of it, is that the book got picked up by a lot of people looking for urban like a kind of like fantasy romance book as well okay like I, I would get these strange kind of reviews around about how there wasn't much romance in the book and, and, and stuff like that and I'd just be like huh oh. mm, I suppose that goes back to what you were saying about how when you have like women in fantasy they, they often are the the romance figure so perhaps they just yeah. saw woman on the cover clearly a, you know a romance story yeah, and, and I think it was. I think that was terribly sad. Um, you know, like, like to me, the grip, the big regret of the first book is that the cover just didn't really come out in all the ways that we wanted it to. You know, we had this this big plan and this big vision, and in the end, I think we kind of missed it. Yeah, you know, we, we just we we came up with a cover that just didn't really tell people what the book was as well. 
and we kind of got lost in that and and I think that was that was a bit of a shame um you know so because a lot of people went in reading the book thinking it was going to be one thing and then it's clearly this other weird thing <laughs> yes yeah and so constantly lots of lots of people would say I didn't know what to make of this book I was confused by it there wasn't enough romance. I saw that a couple of times. Um, you know, I think one person complained that there wasn't any sex in it, and I was just like, "That's strange." <laughs> but uh, you know, like, look, you know, and 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 that was that was unfortunate, you know. Um, and it didn't do not only didn't do me any service, right? Um, but mostly, it didn't do any service to this idea of putting diverse people on covers. Yes. So so I felt kind of like the opportunity was missed by us and that that was my biggest regret with the cover that that we went for this like really idea like we went for the ideology we we went there because we wanted to and it was fully supported by the publisher it was fully supported by me and and, and we put a lot of work to get it there and then somewhere along the line we just disconnected it from the book a little and that was our mistake hmm. Okay, so to maybe clarify it for anyone listening who might want to come to your books, why don't you pitch us, tell us exactly what your books are about and why they should be reading it? Uh, we should re- be reading my books because I'm poor and I need lots of money. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's the basic pitch line. Uh, no, look, my books are big kind of wild fantasy they're not out there to preach to you about diversity and things like that. Diversity is just there. You know what I mean? Because I realize if you've just sat and listened to this conversation, you may be thinking that you'll go to these books and we'll have a big conversation about diversity. But we don't. We actually have a big conversation about kind of religion and power and, mm. and responsibility and, and self-responsibility and things like that. Um, and then we have a bunch of sword fights and shit gets blown up and all that kind of stuff. And we don't really talk about diversity. And part of that is because... I've done that in previous books and, you know, I did a whole kind of PhD on like diverse kind of like um, representation in fiction and stuff like that. And so when I came to these books, what I wanted to do was just go, look, fuck it. I don't have to explain this to you. This is the world. You know what I mean? Mm. This is just what it is. And this is where it comes from. So the diversity and multiculturalism and all that kind of stuff in the book is just world built into it. So it's not preaching to you. And instead, the rest of the books are these just kind of weird, crazy, epic fantasy stuff, which is full of big kind of badass kind of images and people having kind of like strange conversations and and quantum entanglements and shit like that. So it's pretty cool. I definitely think you should read it, and I'm not saying that just because I need the money. Well, I think uh, a mark of a good book is one where you read it and then you find yourself thinking about it several months after, you know, just still contemplating some of the ideas were in there. And that's how I felt with The Godless. So I would recommend it. Well, that's cool. Sweet. (laughs) Thank you very much. I I appreciate that entirely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. And thanks again to Ben Peake. We hope you'll join us for the next episode where we continue to discuss women in science fiction, fantasy and horror.